Welcome into the At The Yard podcast. Today's guest is University of Portland recruiting coordinator Jake Valentine, who discusses all things pilot baseball with us. We'll break down his career path and what he looks for in recruits as they head up to the Pacific Northwest. All that and much more on episode 42 of the At The Yard podcast. Welcome back to the At The Yard podcast. Really excited about today's guest, Jake Valentine, recruiting coordinator from the University of Portland, is joining me. Jake, uh, it's been a long time coming. Uh, You and I have known each other for a number of years and always enjoy chatting baseball with you. And, you know, it's kind of a strange time in our lives right now. And, and, you know, you have a, a, a young young boy so I know you told me you know last week that it's it's been a pretty neat experience getting to share some time with him and, and with your wife and but from a baseball standpoint how are you holding up I, I gotta imagine you're missing the field and the guys yeah you know uh it's it's definitely been a blessing to spend time with the little man and do all that but um you know the the part that's been crushing me is just not being around the guys every single day I know we do as much as we can, you know, remotely um, checking in with each other. And, you know, the guys have, um, you know, been sending me stuff randomly just to let, let me know what they're up to. And um, looks like the guys are, you know, doing the, the most with what they can. And, um, you know, they're trying to make the best of it. But, yeah, it, it'd be nice. Actually, uh, this has got to be the nicest spring um, the Northwest has ever had. So it's obviously um, crushed me a little bit not being on the field with those guys. Yeah, you know, you get you finally get the good weather in the springtime, and and you guys can't be on the field. What what? It's kind of a double edged sword, right? I mean, but you know, you For talk sure. about you talk about the the Pacific Northwest. I mean, you're you're a native of Vancouver, Washington. Uh, you spent some time at at Tacoma uh, Community College before finishing off your college career at Hawaii Pacific. What what led you to the you know the JUCO route, and and ultimately, how'd you end up at Hawaii Pacific? Um. Okay. Yeah. So. Um, had a lot of like D2, D3 offers coming out of high school. Most of them were like, uh, kind of like football, baseball combo packages. Um, and just nothing that really, um, I guess fit with, uh, my personality, the school and all that. Um, and during that time, um, my junior and senior year in high school, Donegal Fergus, he's now the hitting coordinator for the Minnesota twins. Um, but at the time, he was the assistant coach at Lower Columbia Community College, um, and he'd been kind of knocking down my door all the time. And then it just so happened right when I was about to graduate, he got named the head coach at Tacoma Community College. Um, and just the relationship and the fit um, worked out, and I was able to go up there and play for him for a couple of years and have an awesome experience. And you know, if I'm being truthful, it's probably the reason I became a coach was because of the experience that I had um, playing under Donegal Fergus. Um, and then from there, um, just playing in the NWAC, you know, the NWAC does a good job of getting their guys all over the country. Um, you know, it's a really strong junior college conference, wood bat, um, you know, just pumping out D1 guys. Um, I wasn't one of those D1 guys. I had a bunch of, uh, you know, D1 walk-on offers um but i wasn't smart enough about the situation didn't really realize what that meant and why pacific came calling 
and they were gonna you know flip the bill and pay for pretty much everything and have a chance to <laughs> live in Hawaii and finish my school and playing career um, on the islands and you know I kind of jumped at it and uh, best thing I ever did had a great experience we were really really good um, won almost 40 games both years um, met my wife over there and just uh, created lifelong friendships so it was the best decision I ever made. So you go from kind of the you know the the stereotypical that image that you have of the Pacific Northwest, rainy and gloomy, to the stereotypical impression you have of Hawaii, which is paradise, right? So, yeah. You know you yeah. have an opportunity to to play a couple of years there at Hawaii Pacific, and I mean you're still in the record books there, man. It's pretty impressive, right? I mean single season runs scored fifty eight and, and and walks fifty two. Is that really where your your kind of uh, awareness and, you know, you talked about, you, you talked about playing under Donegal and, and that kind of lit your fire potential coaching career. Did you, did you know that hitting is what you wanted to coach and that, you know, that experience at Hawaii Pacific kind of solidified that? Um, I think, I think a little bit and in, in all honesty, I didn't, I didn't know that I wanted to coach till probably a year after I got done playing. Um, but it was because of the experiences that I have with those coaches that I looked at coaching positively. Um, but the, the hitting piece for sure, the hitting and the base running are like the two things that, you know, I just love. Um, and that's kind of what I did as a player. And that's probably a lot of the reason behind it. You know, at Hawaii, you know, our, our defense was probably average, but we just absolutely raked. Um, every single practice was, you know, based on, you know, stealing bases and driving in runs, and um, you know it's kind of everything that that I that I love too. So um, there wasn't. We spent a lot of time hitting, and you know I was able while I was over there at Hawaii Pacific, one of the all-time greats, Benny Agbayani, he would come back and um, work with us in the off-season when he was preparing, um, you know, to for uh, for the MLB. But I was able to pick his brain a lot over there and. Um, you know, really helped me advance as a hitter in my thought process. And, um, it was, you know, it was, it was an awesome time. I was just trying to be a sponge and, you know, yes, I guess to answer your question, a long winded (laughs) version, I love hitting, I love base running. And that's definitely the area where it solidified. And it sounds like, I mean, a lot of guys I've talked to is, you know, particularly when they look at recruiting, um, you know, you're, they're looking for the right fit, right. And, I mean, it sounds like Hawaii Pacific was the ideal fit for you, right? A team that likes to hit, a team that likes to run, things that you like to do. And are those things that you incorporate kind of into your coaching philosophy now? And, and is that kind of your approach? Um, you know, obviously, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit more with your next stop or your first stop at, at, at Stephen F. Austin. But is that, you know, was that, in your opinion, looking back on it? I mean, do you think you could have gone to a place that was a better fit, or was that the ideal fit for you? I, de- I definitely think it was the ideal fit for me, and I think that's why I had such a positive experience. Um, was you know, it 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 checked every box for you know what I wanted to do as a player, um, and then you know it helped for me in the you know the recruiting side of it too. It's it's definitely, you know, what I look at as well is like, you know, people that fit you, you know what I mean? It's, it's hard to, 
have a kid that is, you know, a square that you're trying to put into a round hole, it doesn't work, right? Like, um, so it's just like when you're a player, you know, what was the best fit for you? And I think, you know, it's kind of a buzzword now in, in, in baseball is the fit, but I think it's, I, I think it can't be, um, more impressed upon people is that it really matters because we spend more time, you know, with players and coaches than we do our families by a lot. And so if it's, if it's not the right fit, it's not going to work. You know, and a lot of people when talking about, you know, fit, they, they say, you know, find a school that fits you, but you brought up a good point there. You know, is it a fit for me, right? As a coach? I mean, that, that I think is an, an undervalued component here when it comes to recruiting where kids are just, you know, a lot of cases are looking, okay, yeah, I want to go to this school. This school is great. But, you know, I think it's equally as important that, hey, I want to be coached by that guy. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I think back of the mentors that I've had throughout um, just as a player, as a coach and you know, that's what made the experience for me memorable. Um, that's what made me better was the fit and the relationship that I had with those players or coaches. Yeah, so after your, your playing days, you, you go from paradise <laughs> to uh, Stephen F. Austin in 2010. And, and take us through that process. How, how did that pan out for you? Well, so um, it's kind of it's kind of a crazy story to be honest, um, which most baseball ones are, right? <laughs> um, so I was actually uh, waiting for my now wife um, to graduate because she was like a semester behind me at school, and I was preparing to play independent ball. Um, I was still chasing that whole deal, and during training, um, I got hurt. Um, and required surgery um but also during this whole time i'm working corporate sales i like landed this ridiculous job um making way more money than i do now Uh, (laughs) and but i hated every second of it um you know suit tile that whole deal and just wasn't wasn't feeling it and you know just so it happened my assistant coach at Hawaii Pacific um, played in the Mariners organization with Johnny Cardenas, who is the head coach of Stephen F. Austin. Um, he had a coaching position open up and offered it to my um, assistant coach at Hawaii Pacific, um, Matt Apana. And he um, did not want to leave the islands. Um, and But he knew... I didn't know at the time, but apparently he knew that I would end up being a coach. Um, and so he actually ran into me and said, Hey man, um, you know, this situation's happening. I'm not going to take it. I think you should look into it and at least talk to him. And so I'm like, wow, I never, you know, I never thought about that. Um, you know, in that, in that way, um, that just wasn't my path yet. And then the more I started doing some, self-evaluation and going through what I'm doing in my life, um, you know, just everything and what makes me happy. And, you know, I was like, man, this is a no brainer. Um, you know, seeing the impact that, you know, Ferg and Ukes and all these people had had on me, um, who were coaches and that's the impact I wanted to have, um, coming from myself. And, you know, the crazy part is 
I accepted the job. Well, I had to interview, obviously, for it. But then um, over the phone, because um, a flight from Honolulu, Hawaii, to Nacogdoches, Texas, is not um, a cheap one. Um, and so did the interview process, got the job, and then – but it was, it was a weird time. I can't remember exactly. It was like – middle of spring or something like that so i think there was something that had happened within the within their uh team and they just knew that the volley wasn't going to be there next year um and so that's how it worked out and so i actually went home to vancouver washington and coached the high school that i went to skyview high school um and coached there the whole spring and it definitely solidified the fact that uh one i definitely Loved every second coaching, but two, that, you know, um, I definitely wanted to go um, to a little bit higher level um, for myself um, and really challenge myself. And, uh, you know, I hopped on a hopped, <laughs> hopped in my Jeep and loaded up the U Haul and drove to Nacogdoches, Texas, um, which I had no idea where that was until I got there. <laughs> Um, and that is deep East Texas. Um, so it's about two and a half hours north of Houston, three hours south of Dallas. It's actually only about an hour and a half from Shreveport, Louisiana. So it's down there. Um, and I, I pull up um, and go to the field. And I kind of got there like a day early than I thought I was going to be there. So Coach Cardenas and all them, they're working on the field. So I just walked out there and I was like, hey. It's me. Um, I'm here. Yeah, yeah. I'm ready to go. And I step, I step out of my Jeep, and my glasses immediately fog up. And I'm like, "Holy cow, this is different." Um, so it's about 90 degrees at that point. It's about 90 degree, 90 percent humidity as well. Um, and so I just get to work, start working on the field with Johnny and Chris and Massengale and. We're getting after it and you know i'm trying to make small talk because i've never met these guys in person before but i'm just working on a field and um i'm like man this this heat's brutal but i'm sure it's just like anything you get used to it and i i will never forget it they both just they all stop working they look at me they're like nope you don't <laughs> and i was like okay all right so yeah that's how i ended up at uh sfa yeah you know and and you know you you worked there as the infield coordinator and and base running and oversaw the base running and I mean man and immediately the the thing that I'm just kind of getting ready for the podcast the thing that really impressed me is, is is every stop you've been at there's almost been like immediate positive results right because in 2011 you guys set a program record of stolen bases and this program record of hits and in fielding percentage and it's like man you've been there for you know what a year uh and you guys are doing this and then from there after 2012 you head over to uc riverside right so you go from nagadoches texas to riverside you go from humidity hot and humid to just hot right yeah. <laughs> in, River, in, in, in riverside so take us through that you know what what led you to to riverside uh to work with the outfields uh outfielders and the hitters there um you know small world just working the you know the camps and the recruiting and all that stuff i got to know uh bobby applegate um who if anybody's listening is probably one of the best human beings on the planet no and 
everybody can attest to that. And if anybody doesn't agree with that, it's a pretty good judge of your own character. Um, but, uh, you know, got to know him doing that. And, you know, that he uh, approached me and said they had a opening um, at the Riverside on the Riverside staff. And um, he um, want, encouraged me to interview for it. Um, and I did. And, uh, you know, I ended up getting it. It was actually a really hard interview process with Coach Smith. Um, which, you know, come to find out there's a, re- there was a reason behind it. Um, and you know, I, I ended up at Riverside and, um, into the Inland Empire, which was amazing. Um, and, you know, opened up the apartment door for the first time when I was in Riverside and realized it's just like having a blow dryer in your face nonstop. <laughs> um, but I, I loved every second of it. And, um, I'll, uh, it, as a coach, I probably grew the most, at that point in my career, working under Doug Smith at Riverside. You said that there was a reason for the hard interview. What Do you want to elaborate on that? Yeah, so, um, you know, Coach Smith, you know, Hall of Fame SoCal guy, like, you know, he'd been at UC Riverside for 40 years, um, both as a, as a player, an assistant coach, and a head coach. So, you know, if, if it had happened at Riverside, Coach Smith knew about it. Um, and so – when the interview process was as difficult as it was and had as many steps and layers and all that, um, you know, once I got hired, I asked him, you know, what, what he got on it. And, you know, he explained it, he explained it to me and it made a lot of sense is, um, and then once you work for him, you understand even more, but he, uh, he makes the hiring process hard because he wants, he wants to make sure that people want to be there for one, but then two, to make sure he's getting the right guy. Um, and he makes it extremely difficult. So when it finishes, they for sure have a driven dude that wants to be there and it's the right guy. And then he just lets you coach. And so that's what he talks about is you hire hard and you manage easy. Um, and he really lived that every day. Like whatever you were in charge of, you were in charge of, there was no, you know, hovering over your shoulder going, you know, it was like, Hey man, like even for me as a young coach, I'd be like, you know, trying to make sure, cause this dude's like a living legend. So I'm coming in and talking to him about, you know, the hitters and stuff. And I'm like, am I, am I, uh, doing this correct? You know, like, is is everything okay? Like up to your standard and all that. He's like, he's like, Jake, man, I only got one rule. They don't care what you know until they know that you care. As long as you're doing that, I hired you for a reason because I think you're good at what you do. But as long as you're doing that, everything will take care of itself. And from that point forward, you know, it was it was a it was an awesome awesome experience for me. Yeah, and I think that that's about the time you and I met was I think your first year at Riverside, and, and yep. the recruiting really took off. I think when when you and Bobby were just really really hitting the ground running. Is that? And- and Bryson LeBlanc, he crushed yeah, it. Right, Bryson, yes, that's very true. I forgot to give credit to Bryson. Uh, you, you guys, I mean, the three of you guys on the road were, I mean, you were everywhere. And was that kind of your plan? And do you think that's where your your recruiting chops, for lack of better terms, really kind of took off? Absolutely. I think, you know, I was in a unique situation where um, in my position, I was able to recruit both years I was there because of some health issues with Doug. Um, and so being able to recruit, you know, America's hotbed 
um, Southern California, the Inland Empire especially, um, I was able to surround myself not knowing until the you know until post fact, but I was surrounded by some of the best recruiting minds in the business. Um, you know, I was I was the people whose brains I was picking on. You know, were Eric Valenzuela, Jay Johnson, Bryson LeBlanc, Bobby Applegate, Jay Ullman. I mean, these these are all guys that were just absolutely crushing it and. You know, I, I was able to learn from those guys every single time I went out, and I tried to do so as, as often and as, you know, <laughs> I was probably annoying with the amount of questions that I was asking. And um, But, you know, it is it is what it is. I think a lot of it, it's pretty, it's pretty tough and difficult down there, but I think it definitely prepared me for um, the future positions that I put myself in. Yeah, and, and do you think that at that point when, when you're starting to see some success at Riverside, you know, both on the recruiting trail and then, I mean, Riverside led the Big West offensively in 2014 and kind of under your tutelage, if you will. And is that when you think you decided, hey, I, I want to stay on the West Coast for, for coaching? Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, one of the main reasons that I accepted the um, Riverside job in the first place was I wanted to get back to the West Coast. Um, and then once I got to be in the Big West, especially at that point, I mean, that was a pretty impressive time for the for Big West baseball. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the quality and, um, you know, just the upper echelon people that we were playing against and competing against and able to recruit. I mean, it was it was it was impressive. And so, yeah, it, it definitely solidified the fact that, like, man, I'm a West Coast guy um, and I love it. And, you know, I think. You know that I five corridor, if you will, um, is kind of the the, uh, the place I wanted to stay. Yeah. So after twenty fourteen, you, you you go up north a little bit, up into NorCal, and and uh, work spend a year at, at Santa Clara as the infield coordinator and, and assistant hitting coach. Uh, you know, one of your one of your players, Jose Vizcaino Jr., ends up being a seventh round pick. And uh, you know, after that year, you kind of head home, if you will, right after uh, up into the Pacific Northwest. Uh, Jeff Loomis is hired at, at Portland as a head coach, uh, you know, and, and you end up uh, taking a job, accepting a job there at Portland. What what was that period like? Because you go, I mean, literally, you're talking what about 20 months from Riverside to Santa Clara to Portland? Yeah. So, um, you know, it was it was unfortunate. Uh, my time at Riverside had to end, but it was because Doug retired. Um, you know, if he hadn't retired, I man, he's a guy I'd love to work for for the rest of my life. Um, that's how much he means to me. Um, but, you know, he retired d- due to some health stuff, which he need to get take care of. So, um, you know, was, in baseball terms, that means everybody's got to, you know, figure it out. Um, and so I was actually, um, you know, when I got set up uh, Santa Clara, I was actually able to work with two really awesome um, assistant coaches as well, um, Keith Beauregard and Gabe Rebus. Um, and, you know, I think both of them did a, a, a pretty good job recruiting as well. And so I was able to pick their brain a lot too. And a little bit different school in regards to the academic standards and stuff like that. And, um, so that helped prepare me for my next stop. And that was, um, you know, at University of Portland, um, Coach Loomis um, got the job and you know, to the guys that he was talking to about um, young recruiting um, guys um, were Donegal Fergus and Pat Bailey. 
Um, Donegal was at UW at the time, Pat Bailey with Oregon State, um, and both of them had given um, Coach Loomis my name. Um, I think I was like the seventh guy interviewed or something like that. <laughs> um, but, you know, I was lucky enough to, to get the job, um, you know, right across the river from my hometown. And I knew that it was a huge challenge because the program had gone a certain way. And so, um, you know, we had our work cut out for us in rebuilding it. Um, and it, but I'll, I'll be honest, you know, coach Loomis from the second I stepped on campus gave me an immense amount of freedom. Um, and it has been an amazing, um, union of, of a couple minds, um, ever since. Cause I think on the baseball side, um, him and myself are extremely similar. Um, you know, I think, um, we're both really aggressive on the mindset piece of offense. Um, and then the other piece of it is I think we're very different off the field. And so I think we complement each other really well, um, cause we're able to look at certain situations from different lenses, but trying to get to the same common goal. So. Yeah, and, and recruiting obviously is is the lifeblood of any program, right? And you guys under your under your watch have, have had some really, really strong recruiting classes. Take us through what how you would describe your your recruiting philosophy, and you know, what does that look like for you? Uh, you know, and, and what's your approach when it comes to recruiting? Yeah, so you know, University of Portland's a unique place, right? Like. Um, it's it's the only you know it's the only d1 um in portland like it's it's like two and a half three hours to the next d1 um so we're kind of on our own little island um overlooking the willamette river on the bluff and so you have to you have to find the right fit for the right guy that wants to be there um and so i think when we first got there we got the job so late that you know and the the program was already very far behind in the recruiting process that, you know, we had to, we had to kind of figure it out on the fly a little bit, but in the last two, three years, you know, we've brought in some uh, pretty special people. And, um, you know, this year um, during the season before it got canceled, this was our first year of um, all of our recruits. It was the first full cycle. Um, And so it was, it was really cool to see everything kind of culminate and, um, you know, I mean, the offensive side, the pitching side, all that was just, you know, kind of going through the roof. So it was exciting, you know, cause the first two, three years was really, really hard and just trying to find, you know, it's hard, it's hard to recruit to a place when it, you know, hasn't been really recruited to in a while. Um, and so, you know, I went and got down into my roots and, you know, got down into SoCal, got down into NorCal. And then obviously, um, mining all the best local talent we could and um, we're able to create a, a really uh, I think unique group um, of you know the big thing for us is we're trying to do it on all three facets we're trying to create you know guys that are extremely driven in the classroom extremely uh, driven um, off the field as a human being and then obviously because it's how we get paid making sure that they're ex- extremely driven um, on the baseball field as well. But the, the thing is that at, at our university is like, you have to be all three of those. Like if you want to work with our program and you have to be all three. 
Um, and so I think that was a little bit of a learning curve for me is finding exactly what the fit is for um, Coach Loomis and myself and Coach Lambert's personality. Um, and then I think we we once we created that blueprint, we just went you know crazy after it. And we found some really special guys that have um, been able to do it. You know, I mean, we're going to have, you know, some really high draft picks over the next couple of years. And a lot of it's just because we had some guys that were that that agreed to come on the journey with us and help lay the foundation. I mean, the Bo Brundages, the Cooper Hummels, um, you know, guys that were already there that really laid the groundwork. And then we had the Tate Budnicks and um, the Ryan the Ryan bars that were here and you know we kind of intertwined guys that were already here that bought into our philosophy and our culture and brought in some new guys to help lay down the foundation and now these guys that are here right now are starting to reap the benefits and getting the new stadium and all that good stuff yeah and you talked about kind of getting into your roots here in in SoCal and in NorCal and then obviously pulling some of the top guys from the Pacific Northwest area that you know as best you can and I mean if you believe in it right the rankings bear that out right I mean because your, your classes have been ranked pretty highly and, and you know the last few years which certainly wasn't the case prior to that but how important is California to a program like Portland where you know all these kids kind of want to play that division one baseball level uh you know some guys may not be familiar with Portland uh but how important is California? I mean, I noticed you guys have six guys from California on your current roster. So obviously there's some importance to it. Uh, but, you know, how, how are you able to kind of, uh, you know, take the approach of, hey, Portland is a real option where you're going to play high-level baseball uh, in, a, in a pretty darn nice facility and get a premier education. How, how, do, you, how do you present that to guys that may be unfamiliar with Portland? I think the you know the biggest thing for us is just getting him on campus. Like if if we can get a kid on campus and he gets to experience the interaction that he has with our coaching staff and our like our actual campus, they realize how amazing of a place it is, and then they realize, man, these guys are going to work their tail off to develop me, and that's what we're all about is development. And so then they see some of these guys that were taken, and they're like, oh yeah, and then they see him getting you know popped in the you know top 10 rounds and they're like holy cow that guy really you know and it just kind of catches fire and then it's people start seeing it and the the physicality of our group starts you know showing up on the national stage you know i don't know what it was 27 home runs and 16 games or something like that so you know people are are starting to see it and but the cali kids i mean you know our top hitter this year uh jay colcroft he was second in the country in hitting um, you know, I think he's sitting like 500 or something like that. Um, you know, he's a, he's a Claremont kid. Um, you know, he's, he's down there in SoCal, a guy that led our team in home runs this year, Trace tomorrow. I mean, he's a NorCal kid, De La Salle. Um, you know, Hunter Montgomery led our, led our team in home runs last year. Um, he's, he's an IE kid. He's from Centennial. Um, you know, so, um, we got, you know, Travis Turney out in the outfield. He's from the Fresno area. So, you know, a lot of our impact guys have been uh, Cali guys. And I think um, just selling the fact that, hey, man, you're going to have a chance to come in and play right away and impact impact our roster and uh, develop. And, you know, that's the best way to develop is to play. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. You know, the, the opportunity to come in and play right away, obviously that's, you know, every player's 
goal, right? Is you want to get to campus and 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 you want to uh, play right away. But how do you breed that? internal competition right i mean you know if i'm if i'm a incoming freshman and i know that hey there might be a sophomore or you know even a, a junior or senior at my position you know how do you how do you make it a competition so that you know a the freshman doesn't feel like you know hey i, I was not told the truth you know i'm not going to have an opportunity to play uh, or you make it so that the senior you know or the upperclassman realizes hey this kid's here to take my job well, I mean, I mean, it's it kind of goes twofold, right? Like, one is, you know, all you got to do is look at people's track record and, um, you know, look at, like, hey, man, they do play freshmen. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you can show them straight up. Um, I, mean, I know this year with our club that got off to, you know, was it 12-4 and four to start? I mean, we were starting four to five freshmen every single game. Um, and so I think when you're talking to guys and they're able to see that in the lineup, you know, it kind of breeds some truth to it. It's like, oh, okay. Um, and then when it, when it, when you get on campus and you see the practice and you realize like it, it doesn't matter if you're on money, it doesn't matter what year you are. It doesn't matter. The best player is going to play. Um, and that's just straight up how it is. Um, and so I think being honest and truthful from the very, uh, forefront of it, um, it breeds competition because the old guys know that that's how it is. Um, and then the young guys realize, like, oh, they're not just trying to pull the wool over my eyes and make this stuff up. Like, no, they they are going to play the best player. Um, and so I think it just breeds that internal competition. But what's great is it just steps everybody up even further. I mean, I know when Chad Stevens, our shortstop now, was a freshman, you know, he got, he got to learn from Bo Brundage, who was taken by the Rays, and he's like, man, that guy's our best player, and he's working harder than everybody on our team. I should probably just do what he does. <laughs> and then, but then it it starts cycling down, right? And then all these freshmen that came in this year, they're like, holy cow, Chad Stevens, Hunter, Trace, like Holcroft, they like live in the cage. That's probably what I should do. Oh. And then you know, and talking to my to the old guys this year, they're like, dude, that freshman class you brought in, Tino holy cow and i was like what do you got and they're like dude they are maniacs at working like i've had to step my game up even further and i'm like that's that's what you want and you know that that's just breathes within itself yeah and, and and you know through that competition if you will it you know you you're able to identify leaders in the program right your upperclassmen generally you know most people look at the best player on the team uh, as being the leader, you know, but sometimes those guys want to just kind of lead by example. They're not the vocal guys. They're not the rah-rah guys. So how do you guys, you know, build leadership with, within your program? How do you define leadership in your program? So uh, a couple different ways. One is, you know, servant leadership. Um, so in that we, we don't, there's not any hazing or freshmen aren't getting, you know, uh, like push down or anything like that. It's it's the opposite. Like the seniors and the juniors, they're gonna they're gonna serve the freshmen and sophomores so that they teach them the right way to do things, um, as opposed to just forcing them to do everything. Um, the second part um, is you know we just we allow our group um, to create a leadership council. Um, so our team votes and. It's usually, you know, six guys or so that create a council and they kind of, um, 
you know, voice the opinions of the team and meet with Coach Loomis on a weekly basis and kind of get to the forefront on what's going what's gonna to be going on that week. And um, it just allows um, both sides to, to feel like they're being heard. And um, But then on top of it, it's like we just hold everybody to the same accountability. And so that really breeds like, oh, okay, well, he's, he's their best player, but Jake's like all over that guy. Like, so he's obviously not bigger than the program. And then, but then what that does is then it forces the young guys to realize like, well, he's our leader and he's getting crushed and he's not responding. So that's the right way to do it. Um, so just, and then we just try to treat him. And this is kind of goes from, you know, the Doug Smithism is, man, a lot of those kids, they'll, they know what the right thing to do and the wrong thing to do is, right? It's not like, it's not like they don't know what it is. And so when you breed the fact into them that, hey, man, you genuinely care about that individual on a human basis, then they're going to nine times out of ten do the right thing because they don't want to disappoint you. You know, they're, they're just like your kid. And nice. that's essentially, essentially that's what they are, right? Like if you give them a strong um, – personality and leadership and they understand that like you'll do anything for them off the field but you're going to demand perfection of from them on the field then that's what you're going to get and that's the type of kid that you're, that's going to end up on the other end of it and i think that's part of the development process as well as you know it's it's not just developing your baseball skills and you know your school skills and it's developing you as a human um you know and when we have all these you know service things we have to do like um, you know, our diamond dinner and stuff like that. I mean, you know, Loomis forces those guys to get up on stage in front of, you know, 5,000 or whatever, a thousand or 500, whatever the number is for that event. He forces them to get up there and talk in front of them. And it just makes them, you know, grow up a little bit and learn how to public speak. And we're just trying to constantly challenging them on not just a baseball basis, but on a human basis as well. And, you know, when you do that, leaders come out. And you put pressure on them, leaders come out. And you just you just continue to do that. And pretty soon, it's not the leaders on the team. It's the culture within the team that leads. Yeah, that, that's awesome. That last line is, is fantastic, the culture leading the team. And, and so knowing that, you, you know, you talked a little bit about looking for guys that are, are driven, you know, obviously in the classroom, off the field, and on the field. But what are some of the more important characteristics you look for in potential recruits i mean i take the baseball i mean obviously the skill sets on the field are important right but i mean what are some of those characteristics that that you're looking for and and again being you know portland where it's it's somewhat of a unique situation as you described you know how how thorough are you going through the recruiting process before ultimately saying hey we want you to be a pilot here's an offer for you to be a pilot. Yeah. So, you know, I, I try to create a really good relationships, um, relationship with them, um, from the very beginning so that I get to know them on more of a personal level. Um, just so I can kind of get a feel of like, I mean, cause I, ultimately that's our job, right? As recruiting coordinators, like our job is to re- read people. Um, and so what I'm trying to do is get a read off of them. Like, is this kid a, you know, a fake good kid? Is this kid, you know, an actual tough kid? Is this, you know, what, what is this kid? And 
you know, just being real honest, the, the kids that, you know, succeed in, at our university within our program are, you know, guys that are high achievers that have a little bit of a chip on their shoulder. Um, because that's kind of the way our head coach is. And, you know, that's, that's the kind of the image that we have, um, as a, as a program as well as I'm all about those kids that have a little bit of a chip on their shoulder. Like sometimes it might turn some guys off, but man, I'm all about it. Um, and then when you get to know them on a personal level, like, are they doing good in school? So then you can talk with their high school coaches. Are they, in, are they ever trouble? Are their parents ever trouble with their um, travel ball coaches? And then, you know, just getting them on campus and having some in-person communicate. I mean, I can't tell you, there's definitely been times when I get kid, kids on campus that I'm 100% going to offer a fat scholarship to. And as soon as I start interacting with them and their family, I know right then and there, I am not making an offer that day. Um, just because it is not a fit. The personality is not going to work with me and I'm not going to work with that personality. And so it'd just be better for both sides that we didn't, we didn't, uh, go any further. Um, now that's, that's tough, but it is what it is. Cause I'm trying to look out for not only their interests, but my interests as well. Right. And, that, and those of the program, right. I mean, it's not, it's not a self-serving thing. It's a, no. you know, it's a, it's a decision made for the, the, betterment and the benefit of the program right absolutely so, i mean so, so you, good you got you got to have people that want to drive this program to the highest level possible and if that's not on their forefront of their mind then it's not the right fit and so i'm glad you you bring that up so how do you how do you manage when you know you have you know a, a travel ball coach and you have a high school coach and you're getting conflicting information right like one guy's telling you this kid's the ideal fit he works hard you're gonna love him and the other guy tells you like ah you know that that might not be the case what do you do in that scenario well there's a couple different ways one uh i judge the source like who's it coming from because there's definitely guys that i trust and definitely some guys that i don't um and that's just the honest truth in, in today's game is you just got to, you know, find some guys that you wholeheartedly trust. But then on the other side, it's like, okay, I got conflicting uh, stories. Well, then I'm just going to get to the bottom of it myself. And a lot of times I'll just talk to the kids straight up. Like, I won't tell them where I heard it, but here's what I hear. What do you got? And then I want to see how they react to it. And then I'll yeah. kind of go from there and make my own judgment because ultimately it's not their – it's not going to affect them, um, you know, the, the travel ball or high school coaches. It's going to affect me, um, you know, when he gets here. So I'm going I'm to do my due diligence. Yeah, 100%. And there's, there's, there's obviously people like you. There's scouts. There's a multitude of different people I can call and ask, and I'm going to do that on people. And you have. <laughs> you yeah, yeah. And, and you have. I, I can confirm that. So, you know, we touched on it a little bit about, you know, the spring season being canceled. And, and one of the, you know, blessings, as you described it, is having an opportunity to spend some some really quality time with, with your family. But what's been some of the more challenging things for you to deal with? You know, just the, I mean, obviously not being around the guys, but, uh, you know, what are what are some of the bigger challenges that you've kind of felt with the cancellation of the spring season? Um, you know, I, th the, the difficult part, um, the biggest difficult part, I guess, is, you know, dealing with the, the guy's emotions and 
feeling for them because they're completely gutted, man. You know, they've been working so hard to take this program to the next level and turn it. And I, I think they felt like they had finally gotten to that point. Um, and they were ready to prove to a lot of people that they had gotten to that point. Um, and then just to have it kind of pulled out from under them, you know, they were completely gutted. So that, that was, you know, the first thing that was really hard. And then just trying to keep them positive about their work that they're doing now and how it's going to, you know, lay the groundwork for an even better run next year and doing all that. Um, and then the other one is, like not being able to get out and recruit and get to know some of these guys on a more personal level because of the non-contact um, stuff is it's tough, right? Because it's like, hey, man, you want to be and I, you know I'm working the phones and doing all that and you know, but I'd be I'd be doing them and myself a disservice if we're pulling the trigger when we haven't been able to really see where they're at as as baseball players or as humans, you know um up to this point instead of just you know you can't just go off a youtube video that you saw you know from their hacks or anything i mean what it can do is create some interest but then as a as a recruiting coordinator you got to get down there and see it man and you got to see it live and um it just not being able to do that's killing me right because this is this is prime this is prime time to um, you know, finish up the uh, one or two guys in the 21 class and, you know, um, some, more, some more in the 22 class. But it's like, we can't do that right now. And at a, at a place like Portland, you know, I, we're, we can't just run dudes in and out of there. It's like they got to be the fit that's going to last, you know, three, four years that, um, you know, it's the right fit from the very beginning. So we can't, we can't miss. Yeah, and, and- – I'm glad you brought that up because, I mean, the NCAA approved, you know, some rostering situations and, you know, numbers are going to be crazy, right? And I don't know specific numbers as it pertains to Portland, uh, you know, with what you have coming in and what you what you might have coming back. But, uh, you know, how do you think that's going to impact the college game and, and how long do you think it'll impact the college game overall? Well, for us, you know, just – I can only talk about our situation, obviously, because it's the only one I'm in. But it, it doesn't it doesn't really affect us that much, if I'm being honest. Um, you know, we, we had a small class coming in this year. We had a, a small class going out this year. So um, having all those guys, we're not going to have we – don't, we don't have a, a large roster anyways. We recruit to the 35 and develop with from within anyways. Um, so there's not a lot of, uh, you know um, – bodies that are having to be moved in and out or anything like that so you know we'll have we'll have six or so over um with the seniors um and that next class is pretty small um but the way the draft is going to work out over the next two years as well as graduation it's really not going to impact us as much but i think what you're going to see is um there's going to be a huge influx in the transfer portal, obviously, which has already started to happen um because there are some people that are very clogged up um, and then the other piece, um, is, you know, I think there's going to be some reclassification in high schools. I think some guys are going to see it and some guys are going to reclassify grade wise, um, to maybe try to, um, get around it. Um, but then I think what you're, ultimately what we're going to see is I, I think college baseball is going to be the best college baseball we've seen in a long time. Um, because I think there's going to be more juniors and seniors, um, that are staying put. 
um, you know, that are uh, going to be able to develop from within. Then there's just going to be some more loaded rosters just over the next two or three years, especially with the draft getting shortened over the next two years. Um, I think you just there's just more talent showing up on campus, which in turn is going to make college baseball, you know, ridiculous. Um, there's going to be there's going to be guys that had no intention of showing up on campus that committed to places to improve their draft stock that are going to end up at those campuses. Yeah, and it's gonna it's gonna improve on all levels, right? I mean, because like, mm-hmm. there's only there's only so many D one spots, meaning that okay, now particularly in California, you know, the JUCOs are going oh, to JUCO's be JUCOs uh, gonna be are, loaded. Yeah, I mean, and it's already pretty darn good, right? I mean, California oh, yeah. JUCO ball is 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 outstanding. So, I mean, you're gonna like you said, see guys that had no interest in going to college going to a JUCO for a year or two potentially, and and elevate the level of that play. But I think the trickle-down effect to even D2s and D3s and some NAIA schools is going to be pretty awesome too, right? Because now some of those kind of fringy D1 guys may end up going, you know, may end up at a, at a, at a D2 and really elevate that level of ball. Would you agree with that? Well, 100%. I mean, there's, you know, there's guys that um, sometimes get a chance taken on them that might not get that chance taken on them. So now they end up at a D2, and all of a sudden, you know, it's like, man, all it took was a year for that guy to develop, and all of a sudden this guy's, you know, going, you know, 95, 96. Um, you know, it's like, man, everyone's going to be looking at all of us D1 guys like, what did you guys, like, how did you miss that? But it's just, it is what it is, right? It's just there's going to be more gaps um, for guys to slip through, unfortunately, but also fortunate for other schools. Um, so I think, like you said, across the board, baseball is just going to be better. Yeah, I, I agree. What do you think this will lead to? Any long-term changes to the college game? I, I mean, I hope so. I hope it. Uh, I hope it maybe adds something to the scholarship side, so there's more reason to to go to college. But then, I mean, the big thing for me is like with the transfer portal the way it is. I think the way the NCAA goes, you know, they're going to, they're probably going to open it up um, to where it's free transfer, um, which is going to be crazy because we've already had that in college baseball and it was, you know, pretty dirty. Um, And so I hope that's not, I hope it doesn't get dirty like that again, um, but I'm sure it could. Um, And then, It'll be interesting because the way the NCAA works, you know, a lot of times it's a reaction to to the extreme one direction, and then they go the extreme the other way, and then all of a sudden they find that right in the middle. So maybe they do a one-time transfer, um, and then they shut it down, and then we, you know, find somewhere right in the middle. So um, ultimately, I think there's going to be some changes. I just hope it's more on the scholarship and roster size. Like maybe we can increase it a little bit um, on both ends, just be and you know maybe throw a hail mary in there and get that third paid assistant. But who knows about that? So man, that that one that one seems like such a no brainer to, to everybody, and it just blows my mind that it hasn't passed. And you know, you you mentioned there that you know the NCA sometimes is reactionary, and I think 
when it comes to recruiting and, and you being a recruiting coordinator, this this you know, I'm interested in hearing your take on this, but you know, they've implemented those new rules in recruiting to kind of try to stomp out the the recruiting happening with younger and younger kids and you know, we're still seeing eighth graders commit to D1 programs. And, it, you know, it's just, I mean, I don't know about you, but in eighth grade, the last thing I was thinking about was where I want to go to college. Um, but I'm, I'm interested in your take. Do you think that there's something that could be done uh, to curb all of that kind of madness where we're seeing kids that aren't playing a, a game of freshman or a varsity baseball yet, are, are but they're committed to D1 schools? Now, I'm interested to hear kind of your opinion on that and, and if there is something in your opinion that you think could be done, what is that? So I don't know if they'll ever do it, but the easiest way to completely stop everything um, is just as soon as a kid commits, he's able to sign his letter of intent at that point and it becomes binding to the kid and the university. Um, and if one of them breaks their um deal on that side they get penalized somehow whether that means if the school drops them they lose a scholarship if the kid um you know decommits then he loses some type of eligibility i don't know but i think the way that the way that you gotta defend it is if they are able to commit then they should be able to sign and if they hold both sides accountable then it'll just be less people will commit early because they don't want to make that mistake. Um, and then the same thing is, you know, people won't be able to, you know, over recruit or anything like that. And then on the, on the same token, it'll give people who feel confident in their recruiting skills. They'll have the ability to maybe take a gamble on a freshman or a sophomore, knowing that like, Hey man, if it doesn't pan out, you're going to get, hurt but if it does it could help you in a big way but it's just holding both sides accountable yeah i think that accountability piece is is definitely what's missing and it's just it it, it blows my mind you know how it just has escalated right i mean because three four five years ago you didn't hear it as often as, as you do now and now it seems like you know certainly from a parent standpoint and even a player standpoint there's just so much pressure to commit and it, it seems almost comical because in most cases, it's just simply to you know put out a tweet or put out an Instagram post of, hey, I'm committed. Well, you know, guess what, guys, in the grand scheme of things, it means nothing until you sign, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it is what it is, right? It's uh, everybody does it their own way. And, um, you know, I think I'm not saying either any which way is the right way, but yeah, it, it's. It's gotten a little crazy for sure. Yeah. Well, Jake, before I let you go, uh, we do a little thing here with coaches. It's our podcast, Rapid Fire. So I'm going to ask you about 10 or 12 questions. First thing that pops into your mind, uh, you know, don't dwell on it. Just just fire away. Uh, so are you ready to go? Yep. All right, here we go. Small ball or gorilla ball? Ooh, gorilla ball. <laughs> uh, hip-hop or Country. Country. Costco or Sam's Club? Costco. College football or the NFL? NFL. Seahawks? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Trackman or Rapsodo? Mm, uh, I'd say Rapsodo. Favorite vacation spot? Hawaii. Uh, Mac or PC? Mac, 100%. Please make sure my head coach hears that. 
<laughs> best singer on Portland's team? Uh, hmm. If you asked me that two years ago, I would have said Ryan Hoogerworth because he was actually a legit singer. Um, I'm going to go with... Oh, yeah, I know. All right. Uh, Trace Tomorrow, not for skill, but for effort. Nice. <laughs> Best dancer on the team? Mm. Uh, either Travis... I, I'd probably say Travis Turney. Okay, favorite stadium you've ever been in? Um, I'd have to say for size, Texas A&M, for just sheer cleanness and quality was Rice. Favorite sports team? Seahawks. Go-to song to sing in the shower? Mm. I'll be honest, not a big singer. Um, really like my quiet. Um, but if I was to be singing some in the shower, it'd probably be something by Pearl Jam, one of their songs. Okay, you like your quiet. You obviously have a young child. Uh, <laughs> and, and lastly, let's stick into the California theme here. In and out or five guys? Oh, in and out. Atta boy, Jake. I appreciate it, man. That was awesome. I really can't thank you enough for hopping on and spending some time with me and letting our listeners learn a little bit more about you and the Portland program as a whole. So I really, really appreciate you doing this. Oh, man, I appreciate you having me, Les. Uh, appreciate everything you do um, for the you know development of youth baseball as well. And um, Thanks again for having me. Awesome. Thanks, Jake. Have a good one. I want to thank Jake Valentine the University of Portland for joining me today on the podcast. Be sure to check out prepbaseballreport.com for all your news and information. And until next time, we'll see you at the yard.